Welcome to the Friday Five, a series in which we cover five stories in health and science research over the previous week that you may have missed. There are plenty of controversies and ethical issues in science, and we get into many of them in our online magazine. But there are also lots of stories to be excited about, and this news roundup is focused on scientific work to give you a therapeutic dose of inspiration headed into the weekend. First up in the Friday Five, researchers at Houston Methodist have found a way to use AI to pick out the most telling factors in whether someone who goes to the hospital with dementia will have a fast decline. They looked at data on the hospital stays of 8,400 patients with various forms of dementia, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and Huntington's disease, at Houston Methodist's eight hospitals. The AI was able to figure out which risk factors were the most important with over 95% accuracy, which is better than other ways of predicting who's at the most risk. Of course, there's currently no cure for dementia, but being able to know beforehand who's most likely to have their health quickly decline, doctors can take steps to help the people who've got these telltale signs to avoid bad outcomes and make their hospital stays shorter. The biggest red flags, according to the AI, included having urinary tract infections, certain types of ulcers caused by pressure on the skin, falls, and a very low number of red blood cells. The researchers are now making an app where hospital workers can log information about the patients and the app will spit out the right interventions to avoid a disastrous hospital stay. This isn't the research team's first rodeo. The Houston Methodist scientists made similar apps to guide how hospital workers respond to patients who are injured by falls, and to bring down the number of times that breast cancer is wrongly diagnosed, and the number of unneeded biopsies. Next up, we've all heard of metastatic cancer when cancer starts spreading to other parts of the body. But did you know the part of the body that's most vulnerable to this deadly expansion? The liver is the weakest link, the organ that cancer most often invades. But we didn't really understand how or why cancer likes to take this particular field trip into the liver until a recent paper from researchers in Japan. The culprit, according to this research, could be the cells on the surfaces of blood vessels of the liver. In normal times, this line of cells forms a shield against all kinds of mischievous toxic things in the blood. But we know that if these shields get hammered by too much toxic material, cracks begin to form in these defensive walls. To see how this plays out with cancer, the researchers injected cancerous cells into the spleens of mice, watched carefully, and found that as these troublemakers moved to the liver, the shield of cells reacted by starting to make certain proteins called MMP9, which caused the cracks to form. Using an innovative approach to getting high-quality images called electron microscopy, the research team could actually watch the cancer shooting into the gaps. Even more remarkably, armed with this new knowledge about the MMP9 protein, the scientists were able to prevent new tumors by giving the mice antibodies that shut down this protein. The researchers are excited to use this study as the basis for making new treatments to prevent the spread of cancer to the liver. Next up on the Friday Five, I saw an article in Bon Appetit magazine last month saying it's a myth that late night dining is unhealthy on its own. Despite the really reputable Healthline article they cited for this assertion, it actually flies in the face of the research done in this area which shows that eating later can increase the risk of becoming obese. And now researchers from Brigham and Women's Hospital have shown exactly why. In a new paper published in Cell Metabolism, the chronobiologists did a study on 16 people with obesity. The people in the study each spent two days hanging out in a lab while getting meals on an early schedule. And then later on, they were brought back into the lab for another two days of late night goodies. The actual food eaten was exactly the same for the two day period and they had the exact same physical activity, sleep, and light exposure. The researchers even put them on posture schedules to make sure they didn't spend more time in upright positions because that could affect digestion. 
and because the researchers were apparently drunk on their own power. The only difference in their daily regimen was the timing of their meals. Meanwhile, the scientists hovered over them, picked and prodded, and did everything but dissect them, taking numerous blood samples, measuring their body temperature and the amount of energy they used, and cutting pieces of tissue out of them to see how certain genes were being expressed. The results were striking. On the two days when the people bedtime munched, they had much less of a hormone called leptin that tells us we're full and don't need to eat anymore. These late-night eaters burned calories more slowly, their gene expression was geared toward growing new fat, and their balance of energy was all out of whack. Over 40% of Americans are obese, which often leads to cancer, diabetes, and other diseases. So, you'll probably want to say bon appetit before 7 p.m. if you're interested in avoiding these problems. Scientists at the University of Illinois and UC Santa Barbara have teamed together to find a way to tinker with one of the most common forms of plastic, polyethylene, or PE, and change it over into another plastic, polypropylene, or PP. If this change becomes part of everyday practices in manufacturing, it'll be huge because PE is used in many products like plastic bags and bottles and ends up being a major source of the mountains of plastic waste that have been piling up in recent years. In fact, PE makes up 29% of the world's plastic consumption. Giving it a second life as PP would be extremely useful because PP makes up 25% of all plastic consumption. Not only that, but the researchers say their approach uses current technology and could be scaled up pretty easily compared to other methods. And because making PE burns up lots of fossil fuels, converting just 20% of PE would save greenhouse gas emissions on par with removing 3 million gas-guzzling cars from the world's roads. The research team of engineers figured out how to cut each long molecule of PE into tiny pieces. They did this by chopping the hydrogen out of these long PE chains. The chopping point became the vulnerable part of the chain, where the engineers could split it in two. Then they learned how to move the vulnerable spot to another part on the chain, chopped there, rinsed and repeated until the chain was reduced down to PP. Although the study is promising, the scientists are now searching for faster and more efficient catalysts that will make it easier to bring this process to manufacturing. Next up in the Friday Five, a big thing right now for neuroscientists is to experiment with drugs for different diseases like COVID-19, autism, and schizophrenia by testing them out on little brains in the lab. How little? These organoids are no bigger than five millimeters wide, but they're critical because they allow research on questions you can't explore with real brains and living people because they might stop living. The problem with these mini brains is that scientists haven't agreed on the right way to make them. But researchers at UCLA made important progress on this front with a new study published in Stem Cell Reports. To create organoids, the general recipe is for scientists to reprogram older versions of human cells to become pluripotent stem cells a sort of blank slate that can grow into any type of cell you want. We know how to make them grow into neurons, the cells that make up the brain, and then we can also get them to clump together into the mini-brains. The UCLA researchers' breakthrough finding was that the best approach is to get the cells to become neurons that clump together right after you've reprogrammed them, rather than letting them sit around. That'll help make sure they turn into the brain tissue that's as close as possible to a real brain, which actually makes sense because when embryos are developing, Neurons are the ones that form really early on. The researchers then played around with how to keep the stem cells in an early stage of development, and they learned they can do this by adding four specific kinds of molecules to the stem cells while they're growing in their dishes. The scientists will now be looking at which genes lead to high-quality organoids, as another factor in their mad scientist mini-brain guidelines. 
Having agreed upon guidelines will help make sure scientists can repeat each other's findings on organoids from one lab to the next. And an honorable mention this week goes to a study finding that superagers, who excel at not dying and even staying healthy, tend to have super neurons. Researchers at Northwestern School of Medicine looked at people over 80 years old who have unusually good memories, at least as good as people who are 20 to 30 years younger. They looked in the area of the brain that controls memory and then searched in a layer of this area known to connect lots of different sources of memories and found the neurons here were as large and healthy as the ones in people in their 50s. Plus, these neurons showed none of the tau tangles that are linked to Alzheimer's. Future studies will explore why and how superagers are able to keep their neurons so nice and big. Understanding the chemical and genetic qualities of these neurons could lead to better understanding of how to protect them in the rest of the population filled with lame normal agers. This is all part of a recent $20 million expansion of Northwestern's superaging initiative to study the superheroes of aging, a study that is currently ramping up in five states in the U.S. and Canada. As always, you can find links to each study I've discussed this week in the show notes. And please check out the leaps.org magazine online where you can learn about the latest and most important challenges and developments in science, such as this week, articles on the toxic effect of noise on our health, and the ways in which treating ADHD in parents can help their kids' ADHD. Overall, the leaps.org platform looks at innovations through the lens of rational optimism. You can find out what to be concerned about, but we also tell you which scientific breakthroughs are giving reason for excitement. Thanks for listening to the Friday Five, and have a great weekend.